Thanks, Akant. So, as he said, my name's Emma. I'm married to the handsome man in the chair, Paul. <laughs> well, I think he's handsome. You might not, but I do. <laughs> um, we do have two children, Shanae and Isaiah. Um, Shanae and Isaiah joined our family in 2016. Um, and from day one, their presence in our family has become a permanent one. Um, I jokingly say, for better or worse. <laughs> there are days where it can be both, and that's okay. Um, in terms of what I have done and what I do for a living, I'm actually a trained counsellor. Um, I have my counselling degree. Um, I have worked primarily with children and teenagers, um, and the majority of that has been within the school setting. So I've worked in a number of different schools. Um, when I trained to be a counsellor, I actually had this overwhelming sense that my job was to provide a safe space for children. Um, and, and teens, obviously, and I didn't know what that actually looked like. Um, I didn't know how that was going to pan out. Um, I didn't know if it was going to be in a counselling room. I didn't know if it was going to be in my home. I didn't know if it was going to be a mix of both or whatever. Um, and I've had seasons of both. I've had seasons with children in our home. Um, I've had, se had seasons in the counselling room. And I've had seasons where I've done both at the same time. Um, yeah, which has been really good. So when I was actually training um, to be a counsellor, um, as I say, God gave me that word. Um, and it was actually during a time where Paul and I were trying to get pregnant, um, trying to have our own children. Um, but unfortunately, we were unsuccessful in growing our family naturally. Um, but as you know, God has given us the children that he actually planned for us. Um, and yeah, we love having them in our home. Now, Ross, I know that you're going to be laughing this morning, seeing me sit, standing up here talking. Um, only a few weeks ago, he came and said to me, got a word for you, you're coming into a season and I can see you speaking at church. Well, here I am. Um, <laughs> um, but I actually do feel like God is doing something right now in me. Um, I've offered and cowered away from being at the front. I know that you will have seen me on the worship team. But you'll also notice that I've only ever been backing vocals. I will never lead. Um, and I've never put my hand up for that because it's not something that I've ever wanted to do. Um, but yeah, I just think God's got a real sense of humour at the moment. Um, he's calling me out, I think. And this is just another example of that. A couple of weeks ago, I was emceeing. Again, it's something I had never done. Um, but God is just calling me out. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what to expect but it's coming, um, so I'm just trying to be obedient to that. So before I jump into it properly, let's just pray. Father God, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the words that come out of my mouth today, Father God, are words that people need to hear. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you will be my mouthpiece, Father, and that everything that comes out is of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the series that we're beginning today is called Questions That Jesus Asked. Um, it's all about exploring some of the questions that um, Jesus put to different people at different times. Ordinarily, we ask questions because we want to find out. Um, sorry, we're trying to find out things that we don't already know. But Jesus, being the Son of God, was omniscient, omniscient sorry, all-knowing. That means he wasn't actually asking questions to find things out from us. Um, in fact, he's actually prompting us to think a bit deeper, um, to explore things more through the um, explore things more 
thoroughly um, and in ways that we haven't previously. And to come to a point of realising new things about ourselves, um, about God and about the world in general. So through this series, our prayer is that through um, that there'll be moments of revelation and freedom as we explore the questions. So if we can just put that first verse up, that'd be awesome. I'm just going to read from Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This parable speaks about the type of judgmental attitudes that um, try to make others look less than we are by pointing out their flaws without acknowledging our own. It tells us not to be hypocrites and to judge ourselves first. We deserve the same criticism often that we have for others. When we judge ourselves, we recognise that we are sinful and our approach to others' sin is with love and humility because we identify with them. If we deal with the plank in our eye, then we are able to help others with the specks in theirs. So what's the question here? Well, for me, when I was looking through this, the question was actually why. Why is it so important that I continually point out other people's flaws? Why am I not looking at my own? Why do I have to look at my own? And why am I judging? Um, I think if we're honest, we could probably think about many times that we've tried to focus on somebody else's flaw um, without first looking at our own. And I think, from my experience, conflict is often an area where we regularly focus on this. To give an example, I've often, with our kids, can get caught up in situations where <laughs> um, I'm saying things like, let me speak, and, and we'll be talking over the top of each other, and I'm constantly pointing out, going, stop talking, stop talking, let me speak, let me speak, thinking that what I've got to say is just so important. <laughs> um, and wanting to constantly focus on the speck in the child's eye going, you need to be quiet, you need to be quiet, you've got to let me talk, you've got to let me talk. Um, yeah, and all I wanted to do was actually point out the fault in this child. To be honest, it was a hard thing for me to look at. Eventually, I actually worked out that the reason that I kept talking over my child was because I hadn't felt heard. Also realising that it's something that had been deep-seated in me for a while. There have been some areas in my life where I've not felt seen or heard. Instead of dealing with the emotional side of this, I've chosen the behaviour of speaking over the top of people. Um, I think I, because I did it, it was easy for me to see that this was a behaviour that was not okay. Some of you that have known me for a while will have noticed quite a significant physical change in me in the last couple of years. Um, Two years ago, I actually underwent gastric bypass. Um, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a weight loss surgery where they've drastically reduced the size of my stomach. Um, since that time, I've lost about 90 kilos, which is a massive amount of weight. But for me, that weight actually signif um, signified something massive, <laughs> not just physically, but um, it was my barrier between me and other people. So I felt unseen, I felt unheard, 
but yet I was still putting a distance between me and other people. And that was one of the ways that I was, my behaviour was getting in the way, as it were. Now, as I say before, conflict can be a place where we spot other people's flaws and we like to point them out. So I just want to go over five ways where we can actually interrupt the automatic reactions so that we can encourage positive relationships. The first is to become an observer. In James 1, 19 and 20, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I think we can all recognize that feeling when someone's pressed all our, bu- all our buttons. But it's important to actually understand that our reactions can often be automatic. We need to become familiar with what it is that we're really feeling um, and without reacting automatically. We often react when we feel vulnerable. Becoming an observer will actually help us recognize this vulnerability um, and being able to separate the feelings from the actions. So, stop. What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Let's slow it down. I often say to my kids, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, so we can listen twice as much as we speak. The next area is choosing love. Galatians 5 and six, five verse 6 says, What is important is, ex- is faith expressing itself in love. So once we have observed and understood our reactions, the possibility of choice becomes available. You can choose to be right, or you can choose to be connected. You can choose to continue to stonewall or fight with hostility, or you can choose a different way of being in an argument by expressing yourself in love. When we have stopped to observe, we give our brain a chance to calm down and then to move into the step of choosing love. As we've slowed down our brain, it becomes easier to think, how can I love the other person in this situation? The next step is to take time out. Psalm 51, 10 to 12. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew, that's the key word here that I want to focus on, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Taking that time out allows us to get our heart right with God, to cool off, to take time to understand to understand our own reactivity. This also enables us to come back to a conversation at an agreed time, karma. The next one is to choose your words. Proverbs 18, 21. Words kill, words give life. There isn't either poison or fruit. You choose. Think about the words you want to use. Be responsible for the words that you choose. Find a different, more effective way to express yourself so that whoever you're in conflict with can understand how you feel. Try to find words that bring life, but don't tear down the other person. And the next one is to listen from a win-win rather than against, um, rather than a you against me. So again in James 1.19. I just wanted to highlight that part that says, 
slow to speak, slow to become angry. Seek to understand the other person's perspective in a way that you can understand what they're saying. Repeat it back to them. Okay, so what I'm hearing you saying is this. This is a a bit of a thing that we do in (laughs) counselling when we're reflecting back to clients. Okay, so this is what I understand. This is what I heard. It's a great way to actually double-check that you've understood the person that you're talking to. The whole point of looking at this conflict and looking at the why question comes back to God's desire for us to be in relationship and fellowship with one another. God does not intend for us to live alone, but together in community. I've been re-looking at a very old book, um, The Purpose Driven Life by um, Rick Warren. Um, And there's some really cool things that he says in there about experiencing life together. In the book, they discuss how important it is to be connected in a connect group, in a small group, um, or in some way in the church. Here at Burnside, I think that it's something that um, a lot of us do quite naturally, which is awesome. And I love, I know Celeste is out in power zone right now, but I just love what she did this morning, coming and inviting people just to come and connect. I was sitting there thinking that just fits so perfectly. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so I'm aware that lots of us are in connect groups, lots of us are serving um, or connected in some way, shape or form in this church, which is awesome. But why are these authentic relationships so important? So this is what Rick Warren says. He says, Real fellowship is more than just showing up at services. It is experiencing life together. It includes unselfish, loving, honest sharing, practical serving, sacrificial giving, sympathetic comforting, and all the other one another commands that the New Testament shows us. So it's important for us to be in relationship or fellowship that is not superficial or surface level, but it is instead genuine and heartfelt. This happens when we get honest with one another about who we are and about what is happening in our lives. Paul and I have actually been in positions where we have benefited so greatly from this. Um, a few years ago, we were part of a connect group with Phil and Bron. Um, we've been in groups with them for years, which has been awesome. Um, and I just remember our time um, in our previous Connect group as being just such a healing, a healing place for us, a place where we could be open and honest about what was going on for us. For me in particular, it was good to be honest about what was going on for us in our fertility journey, um, the emotional draining that you go, out, go through month after month of no pregnancy, no pregnancy, no pregnancy. Maybe I am, no I'm not. You know, that, that roller coaster journey um, and I think especially with Phil and Bron, I think it was amazing because I felt like I had somebody who completely understood the journey that we were going through because they were going through a similar journey at that time. 1 Peter 3 verses 8 to 10 says, Now this is the goal. Live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy and kindness towards other believers. Let humility describe who you are as you dearly love one another. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly, nor insult insult those who insult you. But instead, respond by speaking a blessing over them, because a blessing is what God promised to give you. So what does real fellowship actually look like? 
What does real relationship actually look like? Real fellowship happens when people experience authenticity. Romans 12.9 says, Let the inner movement of your heart always be to love one another and never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. Despise evil, embrace everything that is good and um, virtuous. When we talk about being authentic, I'm not talking about superficial surface chats, um, the sort of thing that you might have over, over a cuppa after a service, you know, how's your week been, you know, that kind of thing. What I'm actually talking about is authenticity that happens when people get real. They get honest about who they are and what's happening. They talk about when they're happy. They talk about when they're hurt. And they share it with people that they've chosen to be in relationship with. It's also a place where we can talk about where we've mucked up. It might be that you've had an argument with the kids, had an argument with your spouse, someone else and need um, a sounding board or someone to walk through that journey with you. Authenticity, authenticity can be a place of, can actually be a place of vulnerability, which from experience, I've experienced this, can be hard at the beginning to be vulnerable, but it comes with a massive payoff and that payoff is genuine friendship. The next thing we need to experience fellowship is mutuality. Galatians 3.28 says, We no longer see each other in the former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we are all one through our union with Christ Jesus. Mutuality is simply about giving and receiving, being dependent on one another. If you look at the way God designed our body, it was to work together. You can't function with just a set of lungs. <laughs> you need a heart. You need the organs, you need the bones, you need the muscles. It's the same um, in our relationship in the body of Christ. We need to work together. However, in saying that, you are not responsible for everyone in the body of Christ, but you are responsible to them. Meaning, if you can help, do it. When we work with one another, we are encouraged by others to help us become more, com um, more consistent in our faith. The next thing we need is sympathy. Romans 12.15 says, When others are happy, be happy with them. When they're sad, share their sorrow. The first thing I want to sort of state is that sympathy is not giving advice. It is not looking for that quick fix. Sympathy and empathy go hand in hand. It's actually about being there for someone when they're going through hard times. It's saying, I'm here for you. I want to help. I understand. Sympathy actually meets two fundamental human needs. The need to be understood and the need to have your feelings validated. When we understand and affirm someone else's feelings, we build relationship. If we are too, in too much of a hurry to try and fix things for them, um, then we don't have time to sympathise or be empathic. The next step is to be honest. Honesty. Ephesians says, So discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth, for we all belong to one another. When we're honest about how we are, what's happening, fellowship happens. It's actually in times of crisis, grief and hurt when we actually need people the most. 
This is when the need of Christian friends around us to be praying and believing for us is so important. When we have a small group of praying friends, this can help us help pull us through those tough times. So when we're honest, we add yet another sorry, yeah, honesty. When we when we're honest with each other, what it actually does is it adds another layer to that foundation of a really strong relationship. All of these steps are just adding layers to that foundation. Mercy is the next one. James 2.13 Remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges others without mercy so by showing mercy you take dominion over judgment. Relationship and fellowship are places where grace can be shown. We're all human. We all muck up. I'm going to put two hands up for that one. I regularly muck up. Um, I don't think any one of us can sit here and say that we're perfect. We all stumble. We all make mistakes. And we need people around us to, back, to you know, get us back up and to help us get back on track. But we also need to be that person for other people. That's a reciprocal thing. That's what relationship is. God actually warns us about not holding grudges. It's because resentment and bitterness will always destroy a relationship. There are times when, unfortunately, inevitably, we are going to hurt people, um, whether that be intentional or accidental. But what's actually really important is that in these times, if you hurt someone, make it right. If someone hurts you, forgive them. I know that that's easy to say and sometimes hard to do. So that leads us, leads us on to the last one, which is forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Instead, be kind and merciful. Forgive others, just as God forgave you because of Christ. So when I say if someone's hurt you, you've got a choice to make. You can put your energy into a resolution or retaliation. There's often a confusion between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is not telling someone that their behaviour was okay, but instead telling them that you're willing to move beyond and let go of it. If someone hurts you repeatedly, the Bible talks about forgiving them straight away. It doesn't tell you that you have to trust them straight away, though. However, it does... Um, sorry, trust is actually something that can take time. You're not expected to continue allowing someone to hurt you. The proof of, cha- of change can often take time. And the best place to restore those relationships where the forgiveness is needed is within a small group um, where we can all be supported. So as we finish, let's go back to those why questions. Why was it so important to me for me to look at other people's flaws? Why did I need to point them out? Why am I not looking at my own? Why is it so important for me to look at my own? And why am I judging? Maybe it should be, what am I hiding from? When have I been in positions of pointing out specks in others? I've been hiding from myself and not wanting to deal with my own flaws. So if having authentic relationships is the way that God wants us to live with one another, then why are we letting things like small specks get in the way? Is that speck really that important? No, it's not. What's actually important is those authentic relationships with one another. Now, I know I, I used a ton of scriptures today. <laughs> Every point had a scripture. But there's a point behind that. It's because this is so important to God. He talks about it so much.
on a practical level, practical application of this for you, get yourself connected. It can be through a small group. It can be in a place of serving. Just get yourself connected. Find somebody to connect with. If you're already connected, look at a way that you can deepen that relationship. How can I get deeper and be more honest with the people that are around me?